The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. This morning I have a very uh, unique uh, message to share with you. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. It's only a few verses, Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22, and um, so the description is basically of Jesus. He, uh, you know, he has just had Palm Sunday, uh, Lamb Selection Day, everybody's getting ready for Passover, and, and so the people, Hosanna, Hosanna, bless you, comes in the name of the Lord, but this is the week that will lead to his crucifixion, uh, death, burial, and resurrection on the third day. So we're kind of in between Palm Sunday and uh, Passover Friday. And during that week, Jesus, you know, is going back and forth, Mount of Olives, to the temple uh, area, and he's hungry one day, and while he's walking, he sees a fig tree, so he goes to the fig tree to get something to eat. But the tree doesn't have any figs on it, and then Jesus cursed the fig tree, and literally, it withered and supernaturally, and it's really bizarre, because I remember, I was, you know, as a young believer, I was actually a young guy and a young believer, and I'm reading, oh, you know, Jesus heals this person, that person, the lame can walk, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, demons are flying out of people. It's like, wow, he's a really loving, gentle, uh, you know, caring guy, and then he comes to this tree, doesn't have figs on, and he curses it. It's like, what's that all about? So I want to share with you, because it is an anomaly, and I mean, I'm thinking, well, if he has that kind of power, how come he didn't just bless the tree and make it produce fruit overnight or something? But he doesn't do that. So obviously, there's more going on than just a tree and fruit. There's something symbolic going on. So I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk this morning uniquely about not only uh, blessings, the power of the kingdom of God is that he can bring supernatural blessing in your life. But there is also, on the negative side, spiritual, supernatural things in the, in the spirit realm that are curses and how to break those curses. So Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to begin in verse 18. It says, now in the morning, so again, we're kind of in between Palm Sunday and, and uh, Passover. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city of Jerusalem, because he slept on the Mount of Olives, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately, the fig tree withered away. Now, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, Wow, oh, how did the fig tree wither away so fast, soon? So Jesus answered them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree. So now, look, beyond application, Jesus said, Hey, you guys can do this too. It's like, What? Curses and blessings, supernaturally charged. Uh, words and commands. You can do this too, but also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, nobody then was cursing a fig tree directly, but, and then moving mountains, Jesus said, but he's giving a principle here about this spiritual and the supernatural. So this has several layers to it. But on one layer, I believe that Jesus is saying, as, as you know, followers of God, and you're disciples and you're trying to live a life that is good 
He goes, look, there are going to be obstacles. We live in, how many would agree the world we live in now is fallen and broken and needs repair? It's pretty obvious. So while we're here trying to follow God and obey him, there are other people trying to rebel against God and do their own thing. There will be mountains uh, that are before us that will look impassable, or they may seem impossible. But Jesus is saying, if you have faith and you listen and you learn, you will be able to speak to impassable, impossible situations, and they will, on this life, in this earth, be removed sideways so that you can walk forward. Anybody interested in that? So it's very, very powerful. Now, the fig tree, I want to just mention this. I'm going to show you a picture, get this going, of a big fig tree. Whoops, what happened? Oh, I guess that is it. Okay, yeah, so we'll start there. God's will is to produce fruit in our lives. The fig tree is symbolic. Uh, And so I want you to write that down because uh, fig trees are symbolic of the nation of Israel. And I wanted to show you this picture. Here's a fig tree. You ever seen a fig tree that big in your life? Man, that's quite a fig tree. Now, what's interesting is that when the children of Israel went into the promised land, it was a very different land. I mean, they'd been in Egypt 400 years. They go through the wilderness for 40 years, had to have miracles to get them through that. Then they get to the edge of the promised land, Canaan, and they're getting ready to go in. And God tells them there are seven kinds of fruit. And these seven kinds of fruit are a spiritual symbol of how much I am going to bless you. One of the seven fruits was, a fig, was figs. Figs are, you know, they're, they're uh, naturally healthy. They, they have nutrition in the wilderness. And by the way, a lot of different kinds of trees maybe that wouldn't grow in certain dry and arid conditions, fig trees, they thrive on it. They love it. And if you're, you know, ancient Israel, agricultural, you know, background, tribes and all of that, a fig tree can get a canopy of maybe 35 feet wide, and there's not a lot of other kinds of trees necessarily and, or shade. So families would literally sit often and enjoy the shade underneath a fig tree, let alone the fruit that comes from it. So it became a symbol of you're under the shadow of my wings, of my blessing, of my protection. I'm going to provide for you. And I'm not only give you fruit from the tree, I want you to be as my sons and daughters bearing the fruit of the kingdom of heaven love and joy and peace and all the rest of it. It's interesting that when Jesus started calling his disciples, all of them Jewish, that he said, so, so Matthew, the tax collector, and John, and James, the fisherman, and uh, then there was another guy named Nathaniel. I don't know if you know, he's one of the lesser known guys, but it, here's an interesting thing. Everything that you know, the, the Gospels tell us has meaning to it. It may seem incidental, but there are no coincidences. Uh, with God. And Jesus says about when he called Nathaniel, he said, I saw you, Nathaniel, and you were sitting under a fig tree. That's very symbolic. What he's saying is, you're a man who represents the heart that God had for the Jewish people. You're a true son of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Well, this whole idea of sitting under a fig tree, enjoying the shade of the fig tree, the fruit of the fig tree, one of the seven fruits of the promised land coming under the favor of God, is so repetitive that uh, the prophets, the ancient Hebrew prophets, started saying, when finally the kingdom of heaven comes from heaven to the earth, because back in the Garden of Eden, 
Uh, there was a beautiful garden on the top of a tall mountain called Eden. And in Eden, with Adam and Eve, when God first made us, that was where heaven and earth were one. Heaven was on the earth. God walked with Adam and Eve every day in the cool of the evening. It was, it, there was no separation, as there is now because of sin. So the prophets began saying, when, the, when heaven is restored and the earth and heaven are married back together, every man, is what they said, every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. That's why, because of what fig trees meant and the symbol, they became a, nation, a, a symbol for the nation of Israel. Now, what Jesus was wanting at that moment, and so we have to realize he's speaking symbolically. He's not saying everybody, because obviously, 2,000 years ago, there were Jews that said, yeah, Jesus is the guy, he's the Messiah. There were some that said he's not the guy. So that's always been true, and obviously there, there were guys then, and there's still today that say, no, he's the guy. But the, the nation at large did not recognize him. What's interesting is, as uh, the, the prophets point out, uh, that's what God had predicted and prophesied. They said when the Messiah comes the first time, he will not be recognized. He won't be recognized or seen the first time he comes. God kind of, that was part of the plan of God. It's a big part of the mystery of God. He says, but he's going to come again, and the second time they will see him. So, what Jesus, you know, to have a fig tree with leaves on it, but no fruit. What he's saying is that, look, many of the people were religious. They had a form of religion, a show, if you will, of a godliness, but no fruit. What God is interested in, he says this all the way through the Old Testament, the prophets, Hebrew prophets. He goes, look, I'm not impressed by being religious. I want your heart. I want relationship. If you have relationship, it will bear fruit. And the fruit of being in a relationship with God is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering and forbearance and all the fruit of the Spirit. But if you have all the outward religious show, like leaves, but no fruit, then something is wrong. Now, interestingly, then Jesus, at, you know, this very week will give a message to them, and he says, now learn a parable of the fig tree in Matthew chapter 24. After he curses this, this fig tree, and by the way, that's when, you know, literally 40 years later after he was crucified, the temple, you know, Romans crush Israel, they lose their homeland, they lose the temple, every stone's torn down, even as Jesus had predicted, not one stone left on top of another, true to this very hour but he did not give up on the fig tree. And Jesus said, learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branches are tender and when it begins to bud forth, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that I'm about ready to come back. In other words, the second coming of the Messiah, and this time Israel will be, will be ready. So the fig tree, symbolic of 2,000 years ago, but then symbolically becomes a picture of the restoration of Israel in the last days, which I think we are seeing even right now. But then also learning the power. There's something about being able, Jesus was saying to his disciples, do you realize what I just did is something you can do? So what I want to summarize and talk about just for a few moments this morning is that as a child of God, that is the Spirit of God within you, be careful with your mouth and your words because your words as a child of God have power. They are able to bring supernatural blessing or they can bring curse. So I want to just talk about this. God is the author of both blessings and curses for generations. When you come under the blessing of God, it will be evident 
in your relationships. It will be evident in your life. It will bear fruit. It will be something spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically prospering, inwardly, outwardly, in every area of your life. And not only if you are walking with God will you be blessed, but your generations will be blessed to the next generation and to the next generation. On the other hand, the cursing can follow the same. If you live in rebellion against God, that curse can follow into your children and then into the next generation. So what I want to say this morning as we talk about blessings and cursing, there, there are times when I, I feel that there are people, they're good people, and maybe they, they know God or they have a relationship with God or whatever, but they're, they're fighting something and they don't realize that they've opened a window into their lives that has allowed a curse to come or a door that has opened, or something is not right, and you don't know how to diagnose the problem, and you run around, and, and one of the signs of this is you try this and it doesn't work, and you try that, and they never can you know, find out what's the root of it, and you, because of the misdiagnosis, you continue to battle and battle and suffer. You feel like there's something pressing you down, weighing you down. You feel like there's something you can't see. Let me put it real simple, modern English. Something invisible is going on around you that is you're coming up against. And it may be a curse. And what I want to say is if you diagnose the curse and you have the remedy, you can break any curse. So I'm going to tell you how to diagnose a little bit just from the Bible, just as Scripture, and at the end, I'm going to teach you how to break any and every curse against you, your children, your family, your generations. Does that sound good? Okay. So let's go. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. Let's read it out loud. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, in your notes, I put that and underlined it. You want to come under the blessing of God. The secret to coming under the supernatural blessing of God is to hear His voice and then obey. It's not just hearing His voice. It's not just reading the Bible or the prophets or going to a religious service. It is hearing the voice of God and then obeying what He says brings you into the sovereign supernatural blessing of God. I want to say to you that the nature of a real blessing is supernatural. A blessing is words that are spoken either by God or by His children that are supernaturally charged with power and have the capacity to literally bring the power of heaven to manifest on the earth as Jesus did with the fig tree or said you could do to a mountain, all right? It is more than just wishful thinking or having kind sentiments, oh, bless y'all. It's not that. It is intentional. It is specific. But I want you to know your words are charged powerfully, supernaturally. They will impact your life and your world. It is words supernaturally empowered that can determine people's destiny, both in blessing and also a curse. Let me show you this, Proverbs. You know, I encourage you to read through the Bible at least once a year, and you should go through at least one time a year the whole book of Proverbs. Amazing, powerful, life-changing truths, as well as the book of Psalms. But here's an interesting little one you'll read across when you read Proverbs. Proverbs 26, verse 2. Let's read it out loud. Like a flitting sparrow, 
Like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. There's all kinds of... And when I say curses, I'm not talking about somebody cussing. It's not just, you know, saying, you know, bad words. I'm talking about hurtful, harmful words that are destructive. But if there is no cause for that curse, then like a bird, it'll never land on you. It never, because it doesn't have cause. But I want you to note this, so let's flip that on to the other side. What if it does have cause? Well, then the other side of the coin is, if it has cause, it will land. And when it lands, you're not going to like it, and you're going to need and want to get rid of it. So therefore, there are sources of curses that can come and land on people. So I want to give you a few of the, the, the causes, sources, and it's going to blow your mind, but I'm going to start with number one. Here's the number one source that it could be, God himself. I want you to know that in the Bible, from, you know, the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, God has pronounced curses on nations, on individuals. And by the way, when God, you know, pronounces from heaven, from his mouth, a curse, it is one of the most severe forms of the judgment of God. Do anything you can to avoid, like the plague, the curses of God and God himself. Now, when, when God came, you know, the, the, our, our whole family tree that, that started with the Jewish people and now Gentiles, we're all, you know, in, in this big family. It, it all started with a man named Abraham 4,000 years ago. God found a man finally that would listen to him, that would believe him and say, stop worshiping. You know, they worship the sun, they worship the moon, they worship stars, they worship mountains, they worship rivers, they worship animals. So that may seem innocuous, you know, nature, whatever. They didn't know, you could say. But what we don't know, especially in the modern world, and that many people in the bigger, broader world do know, is that behind the worship of the sun and the moon and the stars and mountains and rivers and trees and animals are spirits that are very real in the spiritual realm. And, and those become conduits, those worship of other things to other gods that are in the fallen angel category or what the Bible calls the demonic realm. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Let's look at what God said to Abraham. Let's read it out loud. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I want you to note in that, I mean, this, this is foundational. If you ought to have those verses, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, highlighted in your Bible, underline in your Bible, know them, plant them in your mind. And by the way, when God pronounces this blessing on Abraham, it's not only for Abraham, it's for all the generations of all, not only the Jewish people, but onto the Gentile people, for all the nations of the earth will be blessed through this. And I want you to know there are seven statements in the blessing that God gave to Abraham. Now, if you know anything about the Bible and Numbers, seven is a very powerful, profound, uh, biblical Hebrew number. Seven means perfection, uh, completion, fullness. It somehow represents the kingdom of heaven itself. Seven days, seven notes on a scale. I mean, we could go on and on and on. This seven is very, very, very powerful. 
And I actually have, uh, in my Bible, I've, I've numbered them, because it's every sentence in, in this is separate. So um, the first blessing is this, I will make you a great nation. That's number one. Number two, I will bless you. Number three, I will make your name great. Number four, and you shall be a blessing. Number five, and I will bless all and any of those who bless you. But number six is the kicker. And I will curse him who curses you. This is God talking. And in you, this is seventh, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham's blessing was passed on to Isaac, and the blessing of Abraham and Isaac was passed on to Jacob, and the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was passed to his 12 sons, and the 12 sons became the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. This is very, very important. I want you to hear what I am saying. When God calls a man to a special task, which God did with Abraham, that man will become the target of Satan's enmity in a very special, directed way. Once God, out of all the people on the planet, he said, Abraham, I like you. I choose you. I'm going to bless you and your descendants. The moment God chose Abraham, the enemy went, ah, that's the guy I'm going after. So when you come under the favor of God, the blessing of God, under the shade of the tree of Abraham, you need to know that while God's on your side, there's an enemy on the other side who is against you. But what I love about this sevenfold blessing that God gave to Abraham is that God put into the original blessing a protective clause for Abraham, and it's number six. God said, anyone who tries to curse you, I personally will curse him. What that means is, and the thing about curses is sometimes you, people, you don't, you're not even aware somebody's cursing you or they're after you or they're getting a whole team to come against you, bring you down, your family, your marriage, your business, whatever. You don't even know about it. So here's what's good. God says, I know everything. I see everything. And even if you're not aware of it, the moment they try to curse you, they immediately, I target them, and I begin cursing them. How many find that's good to be God's friend? <laughs> Abraham is called the friend of God. I will curse him who curses you. Now, let, what does that mean in modern, plain English? I'm going to just call it out as it is, anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism, God's curse is on anti-Semitism, whether the source is an individual, a nation, whatever it is, they are under the direct curse of the creator of the universe with all of his power and presence. Now, I want to say this to you here this morning. Maybe this affects you in a way you had never thought about before. Maybe it, it's you, maybe it's not you, but maybe your family, maybe your parents, maybe your family tree, maybe your ancestors or related ones have been enemies of the Jewish people or spoken against the Jewish people or in some way tried to curse the Jewish people. You are under the curse of God. Get away from it, get off of it, be, you know, separate from it, and we'll share with you at the end how to break that curse off. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 27, 11, I didn't have, I can't put everything into your notes, so this is one if you want to write it down and re- reference later, but Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 11. If you will remember, God ordained that when the children of Israel finally came into the promised land, he made them stand, half of the tribes on one mountain, half of the tribes on the other side of the mountain, and pronounce, one side pronounced blessings from God, and the other side of the mountain pronounced curses from God. The one side said, if you do this, God says, I will bless you supernaturally. If you do that, you rebel, you don't listen to my voice, you don't obey me, you are, going, you are under the curse. So literally, they could not even enter the promised land without being exposed to both the blessing of God if we're obedient or a curse against you if we are disobedient and shut our ears to the voice of the Lord. Let me say it again. There is no way into the promised land without going through the banner of both blessings and cursings. What's interesting is, and we don't have time to read about all of that, but uh, because it goes into Deuteronomy chapter 28, the next chapter, but 12 curses are listed. I'm going to give you the short list. Number one, idolatry. Number two, worshiping false gods. Number three, I'm going to put it in modern English, but it's in the Bible and in the Hebrew, the occult. Um, Now, you know, you read about these people long ago in the Canaanites, whatever, and they, oh yeah, our God protects this valley, this mountain. They made a little statue, maybe it's only this big, made of wood, and they would pray to it and bow down to it and worship it and give a little food to it. And you're kind of like, you know, modern person, that's kind of dumb, silly. Little thing has eyes, it can't see, little ears carved into it, it can't hear. Yeah. And you think, wow, ancient people, knuckleheads. Not so fast. Um, because while the idol is only this, know this. Those people walked in spiritually, supernaturally energized world. Uh, and they knew how to do curses. They knew how to stir stuff up, things that would happen that were something to be feared. And there are some cultures to this day that still do that and still curse, and you better be aware of it, as part of the world in which we live. Because behind that, you know, little idol is a real spirit in the spiritual realm that has real power, and he uses that person's obedience to that little idol as an access into their lives. They, they, by the way, these gods and goddesses uh, manipulate the people, and, and they use fear. They use fear uh, to try to make them do what they want to do. But that is the first primary cause of curses in people's lives. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 4, where God gave the Ten Commandments, God said right from the beginning, you shall have no other gods before me. That doesn't mean there aren't other gods. It doesn't mean there aren't other spirits and other ways to get connected to the spirit realm. But those gods are false gods. Those gods have evil intent. They are selfish. Uh, they are in rebellion against God. And they, in any way you get entangled with them, you are, you are going to be used and abused. You shall have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Why? Because that graven image can be a point of contact for the demonic in your life. And God says, if you do, 
it will not just, if you bow down, you'd have a little idol. Oh, yeah, it tells me a little insight in the future and helps me with this or that. You do that, it'll not only break down on you, it will affect you to three and four generations. This thing, it has legs to it that goes on to it generationally to the third and fourth generation. That's what God said. Look at me in uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. He describes very specifically, and this could be a modern application of, here's how you know a man who is cursed. Let's read it out loud. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. What Jeremiah was saying is there were a lot of people like, yeah, you know, I used to worship the Lord, and then I worshiped the Canaanite gods, and you know what? I'm done with all the religious stuff. I'm just going to follow me. Oh, you put your trust in men. You are under a curse. Why? Because if you're just following you, you're not God. You did not create you. You have a, you are, you've got to obligate to somewhere. You've got to connect to someone. Cursed is the man who trusts in himself, in man, and makes flesh his strength. Because if you just worship yourself, you'll live for your own appetites, for your own flesh, your own selfishness, and eventually that will break down. And what he, what he basically said is somebody that just, you know, they just trust in themselves Eventually, it may take time, but eventually everywhere they go will start drying up. And other people that are their neighbor, it may not appear right away, but it, with a little bit of time, all of a sudden they look and they go, wow, what's wrong with that guy? Everywhere he goes, it turns sour. There's something, you know, and they start realizing, recognizing that you're under a curse. People don't want to be with you or around you. I want to tell you the story of the man named Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Story of Jacob is that, you know, a little Jacob was a twin. He was not the first one born. The firstborn, firstborn was who? Esau. So Esau comes out for his firstborn, should get the blessing. Jacob, secondborn, he doesn't get the firstborn blessing. But when the, you know, they took uh, Esau is born, and then holding on to little baby Esau's heel is baby number two. Literally, his tiny little baby hand holding his heel is number two. You know what Jacob means basically in Hebrew? Heel catcher. That's what they named him, is what he did. And that's what he was always trying to do. It's like, I want to be number one. I want the firstborn blessing. So eventually works out with his mom because his mom kind of favored him. And he, he deceives his dad because he knows, listen, Jacob knew the power of a father's blessing. And he wanted, because it's supernaturally charged words. It means my life's going to be blessed. I'm going to prosper. I'm going to have above and beyond everybody else. Whatever his motivation is, Jacob wanted that. So he lied to his dad, and he pretended to be his brother, and later Esau says, hey, dad, I'm ready for you to give me the blessing. And the firstborn, he goes, what? I already gave my firstborn. He goes, what? It wasn't me. Ah, Jacob. Oh, that little heel catcher. He pulled me, you know, behind again. He was, all, he was really, really mad. And he says, dad, take back your words you said to him. Give me the blessing. And the Bible says that Isaac said, son, I'm sorry, I can't do that. What I gave was the spiritual blessing. My words will come to pass. In other words, they were spiritually charged. Jacob will be blessed the rest of his life. I can't change it. I'm telling you, words are powerful. So finally, Esau gets so mad, he's like, I'm going to kill my brother. 
You know how, how many have sons and, you know, they get mad and they're like, I'm going to kill that guy. We all feel that pain sometimes. So Jacob, it got so serious, he ran away. Meets up this character named Laban. And while he's with Laban, Laban's got this beautiful daughter named Rachel. He falls in love with Rachel. And Laban goes, oh, you want my daughter, Rachel? Oh, okay. And he's a good businessman. He goes, look, if you work for me for seven years for free, then you can have my daughter, Rachel. And Jacob's like, oh, man, she's so beautiful. I, seven years went by like a night. So they have their wedding. It's all exciting. And, the ne- and she's wearing a veil. And the next morning, she takes the veil off, apparently, and goes, surprise, it wasn't Rachel. It was her sister, her older sister, Leah. So Jacob, he comes to Laban, what, what, what did you do to me? And he goes, Laban's like, well, don't you know our, our culture? You have to marry the older sister first. You still want to marry Rachel? No problem. I need seven more years for you to work for her. So he's like, ah, 14 years later. So finally marries. But guess what? God starts blessing. The blessing that Isaac gave him, the words that he shared that were spiritually, supernaturally charged, everything Jacob touches gets blessed. Everything grows. Everything multiplies. He's got more flocks, more herds, and more of everything else that Laban has. And finally, Laban's like, I'm going to get that guy. And he feels threatened. And so Jacob, in the middle of the night, he gets Leah and he gets Rachel. He says, let's get out of here. So he makes it back to the promised land. I got to go back to my people. I'll face Esau later. So early in the morning, apparently, or in the middle of the night, uh, Laban wakes up. He goes, ah, that rascal, he's got almost everything I've got, and he took off my daughters, and so he chases him. And just before Jacob crosses into the promised land where he would be safe, Laban catches him and says, you scoundrel, how dare you? You took my daughters. I gave you everything. You've been blessed because of me. And now my daughters, and now you've taken them in the middle of the night. You didn't even let me hug them and kiss them and say goodbye to them. So then he says, and not only that, you stole my house idols. And Jacob goes, he hadn't stolen his idols. He goes, what are you talking about? Okay, I'm sorry I left in the middle of the night, but you did kind of want to kill me. And then, you know, so yeah, but I didn't steal your idols. And he gets real because he knew he hadn't stolen them. He goes, you searched through all of my tents and my camps and everything. And, and then he says, whoever has and stole the idols that's from my clan, may they die. Guess who had stolen the idols? You know the story. Rachel, the daughter. I don't know why she's part of the family of God in the story, but she took her dad's idols like, hey, maybe a little lucky charm to help us or whatever. So anyway, then... She, she has them in her tent, but she's in the time of women, the time of month. She goes, I'm sorry, Dad, but I can't get up. It's, you know, my monthly time. And, but she was sitting on the idols. So they don't make her move, and he doesn't find them. And then Jacob's like, so you searched high and low. You make accusation, and it's not true. And so they part ways. But if you know the rest of the story, what happened with Rachel? Rachel gets pregnant. Rachel does deliver a child. And then Rachel dies. Out of the mouth of her own husband, whoever stole those idols shall die. That's in the story. That's how it unfolds. It's a very serious thing that we are talking about. Now, I want to say this. Second to the blessing of God, the most desirable thing in life is the blessing of a father. So I want to say this to all fathers and grandfathers here today. 
You have no idea the power you have as a father to bring a word of blessing. In fact, your job is to be like a, an earthly father mirroring your heavenly father who speaks words of love, life, destiny, blessing, encouragement, hope into your children's lives. It's very, very beautiful and very powerful. I want to say on the other side of the same coin, mothers, you have no idea how powerful your words are for your children to speak words of life, words of love, words of blessing, or on the other hand, cursings. Some of you did not have that, and you had fathers who cursed you, and you'll never amount to nothing. You're worthless. You're a loser. I want to remind you, because we need to forgive and honor our parents, hurt people hurt people. Your parents were messed up because their parents were messed up, and it can go back generationally. So if you're a child of God, you've got to be the one that says, the line is drawn here. From now on, I will only speak words of love and blessing. If you're a mother, you speak words of life and of blessing. Even when they are rebellious and they're doing, you know, don't always just talk to where they're at today, but talk about who you see them becoming in their future. Speak the future into their lives now. That's what God does with us. And it plants the word and the truth. Oh, no, honey, you are one of the most sensitive, caring people after a bad scene that they've had. But you are prophesying to them. You are declaring to them. It's very, very powerful. I want to say to teachers, I know we have a lot of teachers here in our church, very powerful, your words to a child to bless or to curse. I also want to say, boss, on whatever level you have people that you tell what to do, you have the ability to bless or to curse. Use it for good. I want to leave you with this last one, self-imposed curses. There are many people who, maybe from hearing from others or how they were raised, they always talk themselves down. What do I have to live for? What is my future? I'm nothing. I might as well be dead. No one loves me. Nothing I ever do works out. Hey, nobody's saying that to you. Or you are just saying it to yourself, self-imposed curses. We're, as God's children, don't say that. Don't let those words out of your mouth. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Do you hear what I'm saying? Read with me Proverbs 18, 21. Let's read it out loud. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So you are speaking and impacting your destiny, your future, your children, and it will have an impact not just in your life, but for generations to come. James chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says this. Let's read it out loud. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Soulish power. People that just talk, I don't know, they go to church, but then they, the rest of the week they just talk out of their soul. There are a lot of things about the human soul we don't really understand, even with modern psychology and all the rest. It has a lot of power for either good or evil. We are to bring our soul, our mind, thoughts, emotions under the surrender of the Word of God and the truth of God and, the, and let our minds, that's why you need to read the Word of God. So that your soul's not running the show, but you are coming from your spirit through your soul and through your mouth. So, I also want to mention, un, here's another source of curses, unbiblical covenants. Exodus chapter 23, verse 32, 
God said, you shall make no covenant with them. He's talking about the people in the land of Canaan, nor with their gods. A covenant is a very, very solemn agreement. It is not only taken seriously among human beings. Your mouth, your words, your commitments, and your covenants are heard by the angels and by the demons, and trust me, they listen to what we say. And sometimes we get involved with things or with people that are evil, and you can become entangled, associated with it, susceptible to it. So I'm going to just say a brief word, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit show you what it may be, and I think you probably know many of them, so I don't need to say them, but let the Holy Spirit do it. Beware, hear my voice, beware secret societies of all stripes, all kinds, and all flavors. Secret societies that get you into a little club, into a little fraternity, into a little deal, and you make additional covenants and commitments, and sometimes it's mingled with other beliefs and other religions and other gods and trying to mingle it all together. Be careful. Do not become entangled in secret societies. When you made a vow of a covenant that's on the blood of Jesus Christ, make no other covenant added on to it, but get rid of it. And, and get out of it, and don't be entangled by it. There are many that have through secret societies, and they go, I don't know why, I've, you know, my family's got all this stuff that flows through, I don't know where it comes from. It could be from that. If you diagnose the source and you're able to break it, tremendous power and healing can come. Now look, if you have a Bible, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're almost done. But Deuteronomy chapter 28, in verse 1, here's the blessings and the cursings. Verse 1, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord. That's the number one secret to releasing the supernatural power of God in your life, is not only to hear the voice of the Lord, but to obey it. To observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will, if you do it, he will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here's what God said. You honor me. You make a commitment to me. We're in an exclusive relationship with you and me. Blessings will pursue you. They will, and blessings will chase you. Uh, blessings will overtake you, and then they'll start piling on. There will be more blessings than you can handle or know even what to do with. That's what will happen if you hear the voice of the Lord and obey. Can I hear an amen? amen? But then go to verse 15. But if you sh it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. If you disobey the voice of the Lord, curses chase you. They will outrun you. They will catch you. They will overpower you, and they will start piling out upon you. So let me give you a summary of the blessings. We don't have time to read all through Deuteronomy 28. You can read it on your own, but let me just give you the highlights of here's what will happen if you do what's right and hear the voice of the Lord and obey. Number one, God will exalt you. You'll just start going up, 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 exaltation. Number two, health, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. 
Reproductiveness in every single area of your life. Everything will start multiplying, blessing, prospering, and reproducing. Prosperity. God says, I'm going to take care of my kids. I will bless them. I will provide for their needs according to the riches of his glory in heaven. You will go from victory to victory to victory to victory until finally you get so blessed, not unlike Jacob, where people that don't even know God or follow God look at you and go, man, that guy's got, he's blessed. I think he's with God. They see the favor of God upon you. Now, let me summarize the curses. If you go the other path, it's your choice. Number one, humiliation. It will, you will be humiliated, you will be embarrassed, and it will be public. Number two, you will fail to produce, and you will have struggle to reproduce in every area of your life. Sickness will begin making its way in you and upon you. Your family will be broken. Your marriage will struggle. Your relationship with your children will be a point of strife. Oppression will start mounting upon you. Depression will begin weighing upon you, and your life will become one failure after the other. And finally, people will stand back and look at you and go, wow, man, it's like even God is against him. The disfavor of God. Blessings. So, now we're at the end. How many of you want to move from curse to blessing? Are you ready? Okay, let's move. How do we pass from curse to blessing? Now, after all that, I, I could do a whole other study on it, but all I need is one passage from the New Testament, and it's in your notes, but let's read it. Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14. Let's read it out loud. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I want you to notice that three times in this passage the word curse is used. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. If a, so I want to suggest this. If a curse is so real that Christ had to take our curse on the cross to remove the curse of sin and death, then we should not entertain the thought that there is no reality in a curse. That's why Jesus died on the cross, was to take the curse and break it. And he did, and he proved it, because he rose from the dead. Amen? We need to give ourselves spirit, soul, and body. I want to add also another, one last way that allows curse into our lives, any immorality, any sexual immorality, any kind of sexual immorality outside the marriage of a man to a woman, one man, one woman, one lifetime, is also an inlet. We must honor the Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We must honor Him in that way. So what do we do to break the curses? Recognize. If there's anything that we need to close the door on, we do that. Number two, we repent. We say, God, have mercy upon me and forgive me. We have to ask forgiveness and give forgiveness. Thirdly, we renounce the lies. We resist the devil. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.